Let's pray. And let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, you call your house a house of prayer. So we intend to pray in here. We pray because we are in, we recognize our desperate need for you. Even now, Lord, I pray because I recognize how insufficient my words are, how insufficient my mind is. Lord, I can't think of an illustration that's clear enough to rise the dead. I can't apply the text in such a way to give the blind sight. I can't preach with fire and fervor and expect anyone to rise from their slumber, from what sin has done to them, apart from your spirit. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there, Lord. But I'm in you. And we are under the, the hearing of your word. And with the backing of the word of God and the spirit of God, we can expect God to do amazing things in our midst. From giving those who are blind sight, both physically and spiritually. From rising the dead, such as Christ has done, to rising those who are spiritually dead unto spiritual life. Lord Jesus, only you can do these things. There's no power in my fingertips, no power in my words. There's power in you. Would you inhabit the praises of your people? Would you inhabit the, the words of this sermon? Would you inhabit this warehouse? Would you fill us with the sense of your spirit? Would the hairs on our skin rise because of the presence of God in this place? We don't need anything else in here but you, Lord. These people don't need a good word from me. They need a word from you. These people don't need a Sunday where they're uplifted from, from, from Canaan. They need a Sunday where the Lord has visited them. Whether it's through a song, through a greeting, through a hug, through a prayer. It is you who do the work, Lord. You draw men unto yourself. Lord, for many of us, this week went by like a blur. For many of us, we don't remember three days ago. And I wonder, Lord, how many of us were intimate with you in those three, in those three days ago, four days ago? Or did the day get so busy that we neglected the most important thing? Lord, teach us the lesson of Mary and Martha that we ought to sit at the master's feet. Teach us that being in your presence, there is glories, treasures forevermore. Teach us that only in you can we place any of our trust because every man, woman, and child will let us down. But you, Lord, you're faithful. Your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And I don't know who in this place, I know everybody in this place, but somebody in this place needs to hear you this morning. Would you speak in and through us? Would you visit us, a humble people, 
with open hands, ready to hear from you, Lord Jesus. Would you come and bless us with your presence? Would you bless these kids? Would you bless these ministries out here that are doing that work in this community? I don't know who they are. I don't know their names, but if they are your ambassadors, may they succeed in their work. May their tribe increase. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. As always, it's a joy and an honor to be able to open up God's word with you. So if you could open up your copy of God's word to the book of Jude, as we're going to continue our series that we've been going through called Contending for the Faith. As we've been working through the book of Jude, go ahead and open there in your copy of God's word. We're almost done with it. Two more weeks in Jude and we'll be done. Unless we see something good, then we might go another couple months. You never know. You ever been warned about something and then you forgot the warning that the, that the person gave you and you found yourself in a heap of trouble? So I was thinking about it this past week. I watched a movie and the movie reminded me of my childhood when I was in ninth grade, 10th grade. Um, there was a mall that my people love to go to. It was called the Galleria Mall. And that was the mall to go to. If you was going go to the, go to the mall, you was going to go to the galley. And so the, to get to the Galleria Mall from our section of the city, there was a a, a plethora of streets that you could go down and all those streets had loose dogs on them. And I remember when I first started going to the mall, walking to the mall for the first time, ninth grade, my mother finally gave me the freedom to walk to the mall. I remember I started down one of these streets and one of my homies was like, hey, don't go down that street. And I'm like, why not? He's like, "Cause some dogs be on that street. And I'm like, man, I ain't scared of no dogs. What's a dog going to do? You know, I'm, I'm tough. I'm in ninth grade. You know, ninth grade is just nothing in there, you know. He was like, make sure you go down this, I forget the name of the street, go down that street. All the, all the families there keep their dogs tied up, we're good. So I was like, okay, cool. So anytime we went to the mall, we used to go down that street. But one particular day, I was trying to get to the mall quick, and I forgot the warning of a friend. And I started down the street, me and my homie, who wasn't from the area. And we just walking down the street, and all of a sudden you heard ching, 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 ching. Right, y'all, y'all, y'all been chasing my dog, y'all know that sound, right? That's the sound of terror. Right, that's like evil coming to get you, right? So you're ching, ching, ching. And we're walking, and I turn around, and you know, this is this, this Rottweiler, zoo, 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 zoo. and you know, Rottweiler's got that big chest and that big old head. So I you know, and, and you know how we run, we do the one step. So you do that, thing, and then you gotta make sure it's really loose. So you gotta do the one step first. Like, is it loose? It's like, oh, it's loose, and you run. So we found ourselves on top of a van, yelling, like, yo, hey, nobody's coming outside. Nobody's coming to save us. We're just just sitting there, and I remember as, as I'm sitting on top of this white van, I'm standing on the roof of the van, I'm looking at the dog growling at me, and I remember the warning, okay, don't go down that street. And I was like, it's so simple to heed a warning, but a warning does no good if you don't heed it. If somebody warns you of something, and you disregard the warning, you're going to find yourself in a boatload of trouble. I found myself being chased by a Rottweiler. I don't know why I, I, I didn't heed the warning, but I, I got to remember something about warnings. Warnings is one of the most underappreciated forms of love. When somebody warns you of something, it's because they got love for you and they don't want to see harm come before you. And so they say, dog, don't go down that street or don't go that way. They say that because they have love for you. They want to see you flourish. Warnings can be as mundane as, yo, make sure you get an umbrella because it's fitting to rain out. Right. That's love. Because what do you say? Oh, good luck. I almost, I almost forgot, right? 
But it could be as serious as, man, I don't think you should be eating that. Because, man, you keep on eating that. Am I buzzing? I'm going to stand over here because the Lord's closer to this side, obviously. <laughs> All right. I don't know what you did, but I think it worked. It could be as, as, as mundane as it's going to rain outside. It could be as serious as don't eat that food. Because if you do, heart attack is written all over your future. You know, a lot of us, we're too sensitive. When somebody warns us out of love, we take offense to the warning. When someone says, hey, man, you talk really aggressive. People have told me that because I'm from the north. I guess I talk aggressive. I don't, right? <laughs> man, but that could, that could turn some people off from you, and they, and they may not want to. And then we get, all, we get all in our feelings. Like, I can't believe, can you believe they just told me that? She just told me that? We, first of all, understand this. Warning is an, a warning is an act of love from one person to another. You should heed a warning. Warnings are important, but they're no good if they're not heeded. This morning, we're going to see Jude's warning to us. Jude is going to warn us of something, and it's a, it's a whole lot bigger than it's going to rain outside. It's even bigger than you keep on eating that, you're going to have a heart attack. And so it is Jude's duty and it's my duty to warn you and to exposit his word to you, his warning to his church that he was speaking to and his warning to us in Jude, starting in verse 17. It says, but you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus. Stop there. You know, it's going to be a long sermon when you stop at one verse, right? We're going to get this through. Jude is getting ready to warn us about something. He's warning us so that we're not swept away in false teaching under the false influence of false teachers who will teach us about sinful thinking, sinful living, and, and division. Ultimately, if we don't heed Jude's warning here, we're going to be an easy target for the doctrines of men. Jude is calling us to do what in verse 17? He's calling us to remember the words of the apostles. You see, problems arise when we forget the words of the, of the, of the apostles, not because the apostles are, are wise or intellectually uh, superior to any other people group. When we neglect the words of the apostles, we forget whose word we're actually neglecting. Who were the apostles? The apostles are the authorized commissioned mouthpiece of the Lord Jesus himself. And so if we neglect the words of the apostles, whose word are we actually neglecting? Jesus's word. Look at your cross-reference sheet, Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, Jesus said this to his apostles. He told them to go, therefore, and do what? To make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to, here's verse 20, key word, teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. In your cross-reference sheet, 2 Peter chapter 1, I want you to read this slowly as I read it in your cross-reference sheet. Listen to the words of an apostle himself. He said, therefore, I will always, what's that word? No, you can say it. What's that word? Cross-reference sheet. First P, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I will always remind you. Y'all can talk up in here. I don't know if y'all know. Y'all can talk to me. It's cool. I don't care. I kind of like it if you want to be here for three hours. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Same thing Jude is doing. And even though you know them, 
and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up to a, with a reminder. Verse 15. I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Stop right there. This isn't the kind of remembering like it was a oops, I forgot. That's not the kind of reminding that Jude is doing, nor is Peter speaking about. He's telling you the kind of reminding that causes you to heed a warning. It's not like you left the house and you left the stove on. It's a oops, I forgot. It's I left the stove on. Uh, It'll be all right. But then you remember the warning of somebody who told you don't leave the stove on. On. It's that kind of reminding. It's not the kind of reminding where it's a pop and I forgot and you go fix it. It's the kind that you kind of don't really believe it. Or there's a chance that you might not heed it. And so Peter and Jude, Jude, by the way, is who? Jesus's younger brother, who's telling you to heed the words of who? The apostles. What do the apostles say? He's, he says it twice here. He says, I want to remind you of these things and I want to wake you up with a reminder. Verse 15, I also want to make every effort so that you're able to recall these things at any time after my departure. That's the sign of a good shepherd. I want you guys to be able to eat irrespective if I'm here. Then verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17 says, for Jesus received honor and glory from the father when his voice came, well, from when the voice came from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. That's speaking of something called the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 19. We also have the prophetic word. This is the apostle speaking, giving himself some credentials. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Above all, no prophecy of scripture comes from uh, the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came from the will of man. Instead, man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What are we trying to get at here, brothers and sisters? You can't heed the word of God or the words of the apostles if you don't know the word of God or the words of the apostles. You can't heed something you don't know. And it's sad in our day and age that most individuals don't spend intimate time with the word of God. We cannot approach scripture with a cavalier attitude and expect to be walking firmly in truth. You can't approach the scriptures with a cavalier attitude and expect to have a close knit relationship with the Lord who authored the text. You can't approach the scripture with a cavalier attitude and expect you to have any semblance of a ground underneath you when you experience hard times. You can't ex approach the scriptures with a cavalier attitude and expect anything other than being toned, uh, blown to and fro by, any, by uh, every wind of doctrine. Do you find yourselves waffling over a whole lot of stuff that the text may have spoken very clearly on, but we've not spent time in our word begging God to give us understanding? I want to call you guys to this, to commune with God daily through his word and let his word lead you closer to Jesus. That's why we have discipleship groups at the church, groups of individuals who do really not much but other than read the word of God together and then discuss what they read. Why? Because we believe that the word of God will lead you closer to the Savior. All of Scripture speaks of one person. It's leading you to one man, and his name is Jesus. Every warning in Scripture is a warning of love to keep you from stumbling. But ladies and gentlemen, you must read it if you are to grow. And if you have an issue of trying to figure out, I mean, I don't even know where to start, I suggest you use the
the Pillar Church app, listen to the last sermon, Caught Up Part 2, where I give you some tools in order to help you study the scriptures better. But I want you to really think about this one question I'm about to ask you. What has been your approach to scripture these past few months? And I want you to really think about that. What has been your relationship with the scriptures these past few months? Intimate or distant? What has, now, now, are you thinking about that? Are y'all just looking at me? Y'all thinking about it? What has your relationship been this month? Okay, now I want you to ask yourself this question. What has it done for you in terms of proximity to Jesus? Has your relationship with the scriptures drawn you closer to Jesus? Or have you not grown any closer, maybe even farther from him? Did you have any relationship with the scriptures to speak of in the first place? Do you feel more secure or more insecure as a result of your relationship with the scriptures? Guys, Jude is telling us something. Jude is telling us to remember the words of the apostles. And if you don't know the words of the apostles, you'll find yourself being tossed to and fro. What's the warning that Jude wants us to heed? Verse 18. Look at Jude, verse 18. This is what they said. In the end time, there will be scoffers living according to their own godly desires. Let's stop there. Any of y'all remember the Revolutionary War? So I grew up in, in Boston, Massachusetts, and so I got a whole lot of Revolutionary War history in school. But I only remember a little bit of it. But I remember the most famous line of the Revolutionary War. Any history people know the most famous line of the Revolutionary War? Y'all don't remember? Huh? Yeah, the redcoats are coming. Oh, my bad. The redcoats are coming. The redcoats are coming, right? That's a warning. They were warning that the British were coming to take over the colonies that they themselves had taken over. It's ironic. But anyway, another sermon, another day. But the most famous line is the redcoats are coming. The redcoats are coming. It was a shout of warning for everybody. And it stroked fear and terror into the people. The militia came out with the little muskets ready to go to battle. Why? Because they understood that something was at stake. Their livelihood was at stake. And Jude is trying to rouse up the same thing in us by telling us that the scoffers are coming. Scoffers are coming to your church. Scoffers are coming to amongst the people of God. And the question is, what on earth is a scoffer? Because it doesn't sound scary. It sounds silly. No. Scoffers are dangerous because scoffers are hidden. Remember we talked about hidden reeves in your love feasts? The, the, the individuals that are in the body that are there to, to bring pain and hurt to the people of God, but you can't tell because they look like you, smell like you, talk like you, Christianese like you. But as soon as you, they get in with you, they try to be intimate with you or they try to lead you to something sinful or they try to get you to believe something that's unbiblical or they try to get you to live salvation by works alone. What well, these scoffers do the same thing. You know what I'm saying, Hayes? You, you got my back from the scoffers, right? What's a scoffer? A scoffer is someone who insults and ridicules. Someone who intimidates you and intimidates the faith you believe, hoping to cause division between you and those you love. Scoffers in the Bible are seen in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 as those who clown those who believe in the return of Jesus. Let me put it like this. A scoffer will clown you into doing what they want you to do and will embarrass you into believing what they want you to believe. Any of you guys were in grade school? 
and a scoffer showed up, and you know, we had a different name for him, maybe a bully, and they pressured you into believing something you didn't really believe was true yourself, or they clowned you enough into believing or doing something that you yourself didn't want to do, well, believe it or not, my friends, it didn't stop in grade school. It happens here and now. It happens in our churches when they're taken over by political pundits. It happens in our churches when we put culture over Jesus. It happens in our churches when individuals laugh at you as you're trying to grow in him, not knowing his word. You're an infant craving food, but you don't understand it. And so they laugh, they mock at you. When you fall into sin, you're scared to confess because you think they might say something about you or you think that they might slander you. The thing is, is that's some of you and that's some of us. All of us have scoffer-like tendencies. People who cause you to walk in darkness rather than to walk in light. Scoffers usually make you feel good on the outside, but then they rein you in and have you walk in darkness. Let me give you an example. Do you currently have something or, or is anything or anyone... Uh, oh, let me say it like this. This is better. What's the thing that you think you have to keep a secret? And who's keeping the secret with you? That's a scoffer-like tendency. What's the relationship that you're in that you can't tell anybody about? The person that helps you, makes you feel great. A scoffer sitting right next to you in the church, but you may be having an emotional affair with them. Y'all know that kind of stuff happens right here, right? You see, we put on the front like we're walking in light when the reality is we're walking in darkness. See, a scoffer will make you feel comfortable and okay. You're good, I'm good, we're good in the public eye. But don't you dare tell anybody about what we do. You know why I say it like that? Because that happens. I say it like that because that's real. I say it like that because we have records of pastors falling from their, their place of, 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 of shepherding because of an affair they had that they kept hush. But the people of God walk in light. The people of God expose, uh, uh, expose uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, scoffers who come into the church. You see, when there's light in a place, I'm exposed, but so are you. Earlier in the series, you talked about the, the characteristics of a wolf. And a wolf is somebody who doesn't want you to get too close because they're scared you're going to find out something about them. That's a wolf-like tendency. Are any of you guys harbor, harb, harb, harboring? Is that the right word? Holding in? And I want you to really think about this. Who among you is harboring sin, hidden sin, that you're afraid to confess, that you're afraid to tell somebody? What is it? What is it? Who is it? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm asking you to, to confess what's true. You have sin in your life that you're afraid to expose, you're afraid to expunge because it may change the dynamic of your entire life. You may lose your job because of your hidden sin. You may lose your friends because of your hidden sin. You may lose your house because of your hidden sin. What is it? And then I dare you to tell me that you feel free. You feel trapped. Your bones feel like they're wasting away. Psalm 32 is a great example. Read it if that is you. 
because you will empathize with that with the psalmist in that psalm. But I want to read to you first John chapter one, verse five. And five through ten, it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, what are we doing? We're lying. And we are not practicing the truth. Can I read verse six again for you? See, all week you can front. I ain't letting you front today. All week you can pretend like you're holy. Not today. The Lord is calling you out of the sin that you're hiding today and now. If we say we have fellowship with him, that's most of us in this room. Yet we walk in darkness. That's somebody here. We are lying. And we are not practicing the truth. If we walk in light, verse 7, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with who? One another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, for those of you who think you're good, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, a scoffer will lead you to believe that you're walking in light all the while you know in your heart that you're walking in darkness. And I don't want to play the role of a, of a scoffer making you feel comfortable in this place, going home singing Kumbaya, when the hidden sin in your life has not been poked by the word of God. He wants you to be free. You know what's good about the good news? It's all good. He wants you to be free. Have you ever had that sin that got exposed? What was the first feeling you had other than the repercussions later? It was a sense of finally I can be free from this thing. Of course, there was natural consequences that occur, of course. But now the jig is up. You no longer got to carry the monkey on your back. Jesus just wants you free from the burden of hiding your sin. Not only do scoffers lead you to walk in darkness, but they're also a source of division in the church. Look at verse 19. These people create divisions in our worldly, not having the spirit. One of the most devastating weapons in the arsenal of a scoffer is division. I want you just quickly to take your eyes and look around you. Because division is most opportune amongst diversity. We have group pockets in this place right now who believe vastly different things from other pockets. Yet we're under one banner, under one roof, worshiping one name. But a scoffer will come in this place. If you're here, the jig is up, bro. But a scoffer will come in this place and try to divide me from you and you from you and you from you. 
I can't believe you're a Republican. You, you really vote Democrat? Bro, you ain't woke enough. You don't believe white supremacy is real? Don't get it twisted. All of those statements have truth and validity to them. There's something good and something evil and all of this stuff, but a scoffer will come and will take things that are, that are molehills and turn them into mountains so that they supersede the gospel of Christ in which is the banner of unity. He died that we can worship in one place. But a scoffer will come and destroy this place if we let him or her. They don't want you together. So they'll come and play to your strengths and then they're gonna play to you. Then he's gonna come over here and he's gonna play to you and he's gonna play to you. And before you know it, there's division in the church. Before you know it, we're fighting for unity and then we're no longer a lampstand, hot for the gospel of Christ. We're just a people scattered and confused. See, there's good division and there's demonic division. Demonic division is division that's based on isolating you. When you're isolated from your family and friends, that's, that's, what, that's what a scoffer will do. And there are cults in our community that, that, that major in that. They want to pull you away from your own family even, the people around you. The gospel doesn't pull you away. It transforms you and sends you back in. But the cult wants to pull you out. Be separated from them. Demonic division will isolate you from your family and friends because you get in trouble when you're isolated. Most of you guys, that sin that you're, that's it's entangling you, you do it when you're alone, don't you? Maybe one or two people. You get in trouble when you're isolated. You're easily influenced when you're isolated. You're usually desperate when you're isolated. Being isolated makes you an easy target for false teachers and wolves. Demonic division will cause you to hate people. It just will. If, if there's a division that's causing you to hate the person on the other side, that's not good division. Demonic division will make mountains out of molehills and turn all of us into third graders. We'll be fighting amongst each other, but healthy division is where we can agree to disagree, yet still affirm the image of God in the person we disagree with. Healthy division is when you sit down and you have a heated conversation, but after y'all break that bread and eat that chicken together. And you love that person, you serve that person, you sacrifice for that person, and you warn that person. Healthy division will keep you from participating in foolishness with your friends, but it will still help you love them and be there for them in times of need. You know, it's obvious that the election is just finished, right? I want you to think about your words and your actions these past several weeks. And I want you to test them. Did your words on social media attack people or attack positions? Because my eyes read attacks from one person to another, from people who claim to know Christ. Not calling out injustice in, 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 in something an individual did. You best do that. But to demonize the soul, to wish harm on a person rather than salvation? Nah. Did they scoff and mock at people or were your, your, your comments balanced? Were they equitable? 
What was the motivation behind your statements? Why did you post that thing you posted? Was it to hurt people? Was it to help? Honestly, most of the time, we're looking for some form, oftentimes we're looking for some form of self-gratification when we post stuff on social media. We're, we're looking for the like. I do it all the time. I post it, I'm like, I wonder how many people are gonna like this. The motive is I need to, I'm finding my worth in people's liking of content. I don't need that. You don't need that. Anyway, my bad, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I gotta stop going there. Where there's diversity, there looms the threat of division. You'll find that in Galatians 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 15, Romans chapter 11, really the whole book of Romans, there's more. But rather than allowing a scoffer to influence us into demonic division, we need to read, remember, and heed the words of the apostles. Jude gave us a love warning to watch out for scoffers because they're going to try to lead you into unholiness. And so please allow me to give you another love warning. A love warning is that all of you are mortal. All of you will pass away. And when you do, you will come face to face with the judge of heaven and earth. It's not, a, it's not like my interpretation is what's going to happen. And you will stand before him. And he will either say, well done, my, faith, my good and faithful servant, for trusting in my son Jesus, enter into the rest of your master. Or he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the only thing that distinguishes the people who he says, depart from me, I never knew you, from those he says, enter in to my joy and rest, is faith and trust in Jesus. That's why Jesus is called the Savior, because he saves you from your sin, he saves you from yourself, he saves you from death, and he saves you from God's wrath. And you can't earn salvation. You're not good enough, you're not smooth enough. You don't earn your next breath, you could pass before your next breath. But Jesus offers a bunch, of, a bunch of sinners who hide their sin from him and from others a way out. He offers you salvation in the name of his son. I know some of you think you're Christian. I know some of you think you are. And I pray you are. But too many of us are fronts. Too many of us are fake. Too many of us know how to look like a Christian, but have never encountered the living God. And you know in the heart of hearts that you don't know Jesus. And that's going to change your relationship with the person who sits over there, right? Come out of the dark. You don't got to front no more in this place. If you don't know Jesus, you have not known Jesus, you can come unto him even as I speak now. He is ready and willing to forgive you your sin. and Just turn from your sin and trust in him. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And trust in his finished work on the cross to save your soul. You ain't got to front no more. That's the thing in church, we're scared, we're scared to take off the front. Yo, take it off, B. Take it off. You're struggling with sin just like me. Don't lie to yourself. 
You struggling with sin this morning? Pray. Who are you fronting for? You fronting for me? I'm not worth it. You fronting for these people? They ain't worth it. There's one person that sees through your facade. Just take it off. Get that monkey off your back. You don't do Christianity. You be a Christian. You just do things naturally because of who you are. My friends, I warn you, scoffers are coming. False faith is here. If that's you, I call you out of that. Repent and believe now. And for those of you who have, don't know Jesus, don't pretend to know Jesus, I commend you for your boldness, but I warn you, the judge, the judge is here. Repent and believe. I know I stand up here and I look foolish talking about a God who entered into his creation. I don't really care what y'all think about me right now. I care that y'all hear the gospel, that Jesus saves you from your sin. And if you don't remember anything else, remember that Jesus saves you from your sin. Confess and trust in him. Father, Father God, we need you in such a profound way. And we be fronting like we know you. The facade is so thick on me and on these people. Just yesterday, our eyes were watching things that were unholy, Lord. Just yesterday, we were reveling in our own self-sufficiency, Lord. Just yesterday, we, wouldn't, we didn't give a rip about you yesterday, Lord. But we in here singing Kumbaya like we're good. Father, I pray that you expose the darkness in us. I pray that you reveal to us the, sus the substance of our heart so that we would see that we are in desperate need of a savior. Lord, I pray that you would transform broken sinners into the image of your son, that you would forgive me for being such a wretched man I'm wretched, Father. I'm wretched, Lord. I woke up this morning on my own strength, didn't thank you at all. I breathe because of you, and I don't acknowledge you. I can confess it because they do the same thing. But you have grace and mercy for sinners. And I pray that you would shuffle a little bit of that toward us. Lord, you are worthy of praise. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.